everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, joining us for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, great to be back with you. Thank you for dropping by the podcast and Looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So, a uh, plenty to cover, Shane. Of course, over the past, it's probably been a couple of months at this point. We've been closely tracking the developments overseas in Eastern Europe, uh, specific to Russia and the Ukraine. Now, this week, I believe it was back on Tuesday, we did hear from President Biden. He did address the nation to outline the position of the U.S. on these developments. So, Shane, can you provide us some key takeaways from President Biden's address? And maybe bring us up to speed as far as what we've been seeing along the Ukrainian border in recent days. Right. You know, it was an interesting address by President Biden because it really didn't break, you know, new ground. It was reiterating, you know, uh, his appeal for diplomacy and continue to try and um, avoid um, any uh, conflict uh, between Russia and Ukraine uh, that could embroil, you know, um, the larger European uh, Union. Um, you know, I think uh, you've seen a bunch of different actions in this week. You know, um, at one point you had Russia saying they were pulling troops away. The latest intelligence today says actually they've added 7,000 troops uh, to uh, their, their forces that are, are surrounding Ukraine on three sides. Uh, additionally, uh, Russia just kicked out the number two uh, U.S. diplomat out of Moscow. Uh, so that's obviously not a positive development. But conversations are still going on. You know, Vice President Harris is uh, joining other European nations for uh, conversations in Munich. So there is uh, a number of things going on here, you know, and even President Biden, I think, remarked this morning that, you know, he's, he still thinks uh, an invasion is days away. So, you know, it is I feel like we've been saying that, or the administration's been saying that for weeks now. Um, but you do have this buildup where, you know, you have some 150,000 Russian troops um, on the border of Ukraine. And, you know, you don't do that unless, you know, you have a real reason. It's, it's a big drain on resources to um, put that many troops there. I mean, I think it's, it's a sizable chunk of the Russian uh, military. Uh, additionally, you saw some uh, cyber attacks on Ukraine's uh, Department of Defense website. And, you know, this could be um, um, a prelude to an attack or it could be, you know, a warning sign from uh, Russia that they have these cyber capabilities that they will employ. So, you know, um, it, it's going to continue to be uh, uh, tense the coming days. Um, even if it, there is a deal escalation, there, there's still uh, tensions, um, you know, and obviously we're hoping for a de-escalation, but, you know, that is not the current trajectory. 
It does, of course, remain a very delicate situation, and it seems to be evolving by the day. So something we'll continue to track very closely. Hopefully a diplomatic solution can be achieved here, but more to come. Uh, maybe coming back to this side of the Atlantic, Shane. So we have been seeing some growing headlines in recent weeks surrounding protest efforts in Canada to COVID-19 related mandates and restrictions. So can you provide us with some context around how all of this came to be, maybe the spillover effect of these efforts, what that has consisted of here in the U.S., pointing to commerce disruption, and what kinds of actions is the Canadian government taking in response to these protests? Yeah, these protests, um, kind of known by the, as the trucking convoy, has been going on for several weeks, about three weeks now. And, you know, uh, over that time, uh, there have been uh, numerous truckers who have kind of flooded the capital uh, of Canada and tried to shut down the city to make their point that they're against COVID uh, vaccine mandates. And uh, additionally, they have um, shut down many of the cross-border um, uh, sites, you know, uh, the Detroit Bridge that connects to Canada, as, long as, as well as other sites. You know, the Canadian government in the past few days has really started to shift to, um, you know, enforce the law and clean up this to try and get, you know, the average Canadian's life back uh, to normal. Uh, and, you know, there are different parts where, you know, if, if the downtown of Ottawa is uh, blockaded off, you know, maybe someone can't get their groceries, go to work, etc. cetera. Uh, but then there's the border crossings that if they're blocked off, you know, trade uh, comes to a standstill. So you saw um, the Canadian government really move uh, and take, you know, kind of unprecedented steps invoking emergency powers to crack down on these demonstrations. So they've uh, reopened the bridge at Detroit. I think the um, cross uh, border at, in North Dakota is still closed. Um, we'll probably see that reopened uh, in a matter of days. You know, so this is um, the Canadian government, uh, you know, kind of uh, went along with allowing protests, but I think they're really starting to turn a corner and 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 um, show some force. And you know, some of these protesters may end up being arrested. In fact, um, you know, some of their um, vehicles may be confiscated. And you know, hey, it's one thing you know to have your twenty thousand dollar car confiscated, but some of these trucks are you know over a hundred thousand dollars. They're real serious equipment, so that would be a a major blow to many of these protesters, so they may rethink um, uh, their actions. The images have indeed been quite eye-opening over the past few weeks, so we shall see what kind of impact these measures being exercised by the Canadian government uh, have on the momentum behind the protests, so uh, more to come there. Uh, maybe turning to Capitol Hill for a few moments, Shane, so we have also been seeing some growing headlines uh, surrounding the ability of members of Congress to engage in securities trading, and these capabilities, they have come under some scrutiny, so what is being discussed, and what has the reception of potential reform or limitations consisted of within Congress? Yeah, this is an interesting one to follow that's gotten uh, some momentum in the past few weeks, and it's definitely um, getting some life breathed into it. Um, whereas, you know, if you asked me about this issue six months ago, I, I would have probably said, said, you know, no one's interested in doing that. I think now it's, it's, um, it's on most lawmakers' radar screen, which is, 
you know, they can trade uh, individually held stocks and securities, et cetera. Um, and that some people believe that presents a conflict of interest. You know, while they're still held to uh, insider trading laws, you know, and there actually is a former congressman who um, uh, went to jail for insider trading. Um, you know, there there is this question about a conflict of interest and, you know, does it pose any any uh, um, real does it make sense for them to actually hold stocks versus, you know, maybe a mutual fund, et cetera. So, you know, there is this drive um, to essentially ban members of, of House and Senate from holding individual securities and, and, and force them to, if they want to be active in the market, hold mutual funds or something of that order, maybe a blind trust, uh, et cetera. Uh, so the, Congress is examining different options. You know, there was some initial resistance by, you know, Speaker Pelosi, but she is, seems to be coming on board, but with an asterisk, which is that she wants it to also apply to judiciary. Um, you know, so we've seen some judges uh, recently get in trouble uh, for some of their conflicts of interest in, in uh, um, what cases they heard and uh, while they may have held stock in certain companies. So, you know, I think um, this is one where the, the, the details, are, the devil is in the details. Um, so I think they're trying to figure out, you know, how finally they can craft this to, where it makes sense and doesn't, you know, have unintended consequences. You know, say a, um, a newly elected member is the sole owner in a small business. You know, technically they own all the stock, right? How do you divest? How do you, you know, if you're a longtime executive of a company and you now uh, leave that life to be uh, a representative or senator, you know, how, how is that handled? So there are a lot of intricacies to be uh, discussed here, but you're seeing some momentum gain on this issue. And I think, you know, there's a good chance that Congress acts on this and to try and show some, you know, good governance that they're, you know, policing themselves as they should be. Well, it, it does sound complicated, though, the shift in sentiment amongst lawmakers on this matter. It's been interesting to see that evolve. We shall see how this plays out. Thank you for the update there, Shane. Uh, maybe one other domestic point of interest to hit on before we close out for this week. This is looking out to San Francisco, uh, the Board of Education. There was a voter recall, which did impact three members of the Board of Education, and I believe this move has even gained the support of San Francisco's mayor. So what can you share with us there, Shane? Yeah, there was this uh, recall election held in uh, San Francisco for uh, three uh, members of the Board of Education, and all three uh, were recalled. And it was a um, pretty overwhelming vote. I mean, it was roughly 75-25, uh, 75% voting for recall for all three. Uh, there was one who uh, garnered a higher um, recall vote uh, for particular reasons. But, you know, what you're seeing is something that we've seen um, uh, just last November in the elections in uh, New Jersey and Virginia, which is, you know, parents kind of stick in their mind, sticking up for their kids, saying, you know, we're trying to do, we're trying to be good parents and do what's best for our kids. But it doesn't feel like the Board of Education and schools are do actually doing what's best for our kids. So you have, um, you know, 
uh, this is a sensitive issue that I think, you know, most lawmakers across the country should really pay attention to in the coming weeks and months, you know, um, and not dismiss um, the, the feelings of parents. And, you know, because remember, parents are trying to do what's best for the kids. And, you know, while these uh, local officials may be doing the same, you know, they may be doing it through a different lens. And, and I think they, that this is a kind of a warning sign for a lot of elected officials that they need to pay attention to, um, that uh, they should not dismiss. And while they feel like they may be doing what's be- in the best interest for their constituents, you know, they, they, they really need to listen to the constituents uh, as well. Um, there were some, you know, kind of factors beyond what I just described that happened in this local election. But, you know, it, it, it is a good pulse check. You know that uh, I think the law that lawmakers across the nation should pay attention to. This was an interesting development. To your point, Shane, it is a local matter, though it seems to have some a uh, potential national implications. So we'll see how that perhaps plays out from here. Though Shane, great catching up with you as always. Thank you for dropping by the podcast and for bringing us up to speed on a variety of matters, both overseas and domestic. Uh, Plenty here, of course, we can follow up on and looking forward to continuing our conversation next week. Sounds good, Dan. It was great to catch up with you. I hope uh, you're able to enjoy a, a lovely weekend. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our listeners and our clients, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. The information in this discussion has been prepared by and reflects the opinions and various investment views of the speaker. UBS Financial Services, Inc. has not independently verified such information and does not guarantee its accuracy or completeness. This information is being provided to you for your information purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation or an endorsement by UBS Financial Services, Inc. of the author, the securities, or views stated herein. Any specific security Securities discussed should not be considered a recommendation or solicitation to buy or sell any particular security. You should not assume that any investment in any of the securities was or will be profitable. UBS Financial Services, Inc. or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, different in material ways. We are governed by different laws and separate arrangements 
clients, it is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.